We're in a very interesting section in the book of Romans. We're in this section, chapters 9, 10, and 11. And Paul raises the question, well, what about Israel? And in order to keep bringing up topics, he raises a number of questions. And so we've been looking at these questions each week. But this morning we're answering or going to look at the question, did God reject His chosen people? Even as we look at Israel today, we ask the question, what's going on with Israel? Now, some of you may be thinking, well, this is just an academic question. I need more than that for this morning, for my life, right? But it, it plays into another question for you and me. If God rejected His people that He made so many promises to, will He reject you and me? So we've got to press into this a little bit further. But let's hone that question even a little sharper. Let's just ask the question, when we are encountering pain, when we're suffering, is God still there or is He absent? Or when we don't understand what God is doing in the midst of the pain and the suffering what do we say about God? So we're going to go after some of these questions, even as we look at the nation of Israel, how is it that God is dealing with His people today? So if you have your Bible, would you open with me? We're in chapter 11 now, Romans chapter 11. If you have a device, that's helpful. As always at Fox Valley Church, I can't emphasize enough. I want you to hear the Word read right from the Word so that you can see it. And here's another reason why. This is not just an apostle writing. This is God speaking through the apostle. Without it being some kind of dictating to Paul, there is Paul's personality, but there is the Spirit of God that is speaking. Now, why is that significant? Because it wasn't written just for 2,000 years ago. It was written for you and me today. I mean, that's how exciting it is to be in God's Word. October 9th, 2022, you're here. God wants to speak. And so the big question is, are you ready to hear? If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand? Romans chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. I ask then, did God reject His people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject His people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to Elijah? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain? The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block 
and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. God, we just pray for mercy. (laughs) We, We read these things and we're like, what are you doing, God? So today, this morning, right now, God, we invite your spirit to stir among our hearts, to bring us to an understanding of what you're doing, to appreciate all of your plans and purposes. And then, God, that we would love them, embrace them, even in the midst of our own confusion. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. Of course, as we get into a passage like this, uh, it's probably a little helpful to do a review, right? So we, we've been trafficking through Romans 9, 10, and 11 in this section, and there's been a number of questions asked. And so what I want to do is make sure that we all understand the dynamic that was taking place in the church at Rome. Remember, it was a mixed group. There were people that were Jews there that had found Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they didn't know what all that meant. And then there were Gentiles, and the Gentiles were flooding in as well. And so there is this strange irony that is taking place, and that is this. Israel, as we all know, they're called the chosen people. They're uniquely chosen by God, yet they're entrenched. They're entrenched in unbelief. Now, let's be clear, right? The Old Testament from Genesis all the way through in our English Bibles to the book of Malachi, it's moving through God's people as he's making promises to them. And so what's happening is they're in a place now of unbelief. We could even throw the word doubt in there. They're questioning, what is God doing? Has God abandoned us? Has God left us? Now, because we read in the book of Romans about Jesus Christ, we can now say they're struggling with belief about the Messiah. Now, why are they struggling with the belief about Jesus being the Messiah? Because in their view, the word Messiah is the Greek word Christ in our New Testament that we just usually translate as Christ, but it has a picture of a king. And so Israel simply thought that their Messiah would be a conquering king, that he would come, and in the first century, that he would even overthrow the Roman Empire. They were hoping for this kind of king. What they didn't want, what they were definitely resisting, was a suffering, crucified Christ. So that becomes the stumbling block for them. And so there is this disbelief that is getting fueled in the hearts of Israel. So there's this irony. How could you be God's chosen people and believe all that? And we'll explore that even a little further. And find themselves in such unbelief. Such rejection of God's plan and God's purposes. God's plan and purposes of a suffering, crucified, but resurrected Messiah. So that's where we're finding ourselves in the midst of this. But let's look a little bit of where we've been. We ask the question, has God been unfaithful? And the answer, as Paul says, is never, no way. God has not been unfaithful to his people or to his promises, 
or to his purposes. But we could just pause right there. Last week we ended the service and we were in the Lord's Supper and we said, but God, we don't want to be like the Israelites. We don't want to find ourselves in a posture, in a place where we no longer trust God. But how do people get there? Well, all of us, everyone in this room has suffered. Every one of us has experienced pain. We have felt betrayal. We have felt rejection. Some of us are dealing with physical ailments. I mean, there's all kinds of pain and suffering, rejection and betrayal going on in amazing ways, right? And what do you do when that happens? You cry out to God and you say what? Why me? And so we start complaining to God. And then if we're honest with ourselves, and I don't want to be the only one honest this morning, is I struggle and say, God, what are you doing? Where are you, God? What's happening? And so what we're going to see is that even in the midst of that, God is faithful. And that's going to be a challenging question, and we're going to explore that a little deeper. But the other question that was raised by the Apostle Paul, okay, has God been unfair or unjust? Has God been unjust? Now, God made promises, and all of a sudden it feels like, no, it looks like, no, it really is these broken promises. Well, are they? And Paul says, no way, God would never break his promises. God is a good God. He keeps his word. He is always a just God. But the problem is, we look at it from our perspective. The Israelites did, and so do we. Let's be honest. When we have a problem with God, we're looking at it through our lens, our way, and we're saying, God, you need to answer my prayer this way. God, you need to fix my situation this way. And we get it all worked out in our heads. And God says, well, I got a different plan for you. And there we sit. And today, millions are walking away from the church and even walking away from the Bible. And now, as I shared a couple weeks ago, in an unprecedented time in U.S. history, a greater number of people are expressing unbelief. People used to in America... We maintained for years and years, decades and decades, pretty much since the founding, over a 90%. Now, they didn't take surveys and polls back then, but when they started taking polls, the United States consistently always ended up in a 90 to 95% percentile of people that expressed belief in God. That now is dropping, and millions of people are not just walking away from the church, they're walking away from God in a way of unbelief but has God been unjust and the answer is God is never unjust but let's press this a little further we've got this irony of God's chosen people and unbelief so what's happening with Israel first we see back in chapter 9 God has his own purposes we may not like his purposes we may not understand his purposes but God has his own purposes And they're always good. And you know what? That takes faith. 
Because when you're feeling pain, when you're suffering, when you're struggling, when life is giving you really walls and barriers and hardships, you're crying out and you're saying, what in the world? God has abandoned me, right? And God has his own purposes. Secondly, Israel stumbled over Jesus Christ. Now, of course, that's happening in record numbers of people in the church, and that's why they're walking away. Part of the reason they're walking away is they look at what Jesus said, and we live in a pluralistic culture. We live in a culture where we want to embrace everything, and Jesus says, you can't embrace everything. It's either me or the world. You can't have two masters, right? Jesus said it in a lot of ways. He said, I'm the only way to the Father. He just he lays out these statements and they're so offensive in the 21st century. So you can get mad at me, but really just get mad at Jesus because Jesus was the one who said it. He said, I am the only way. He said, if you start trusting me, put your hand to the plow and look back, start looking for other ways, you're not fit for the kingdom. See how he says these kind of things? Remember the other one that he said. Guy comes to him, he says, God or Jesus, I want to follow you. But he says, my dad just died. I, I need to go through the burial stuff, the funeral. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. It's not that Jesus didn't care about the family, the father that passed, and all the impact of all that. He was drawing a line in the sand again. And he's saying, you're either going to follow me or you're going to follow the world. And that's what people stumble over. Jesus did not leave other avenues to God open he closed every door and that's offensive and the question is for you and me are you going to believe that are you going to trust that jesus knows what he's talking about because if you can't trust him in that i'm really befuddled i'm really bamboozled i'm confused at how you're going to trust him for your salvation because you're going to doubt everything else he says. So it comes down to belief. And that's where Israel stumbled. The last thing is that Israel maintains a stubborn, hard heart towards God's plan. And that's the danger we're in as well. Are we going to get a hard heart towards God? I pause. It will help in this message if you could bring to mind some of the difficult things that you've struggled with and use that to listen to what God wants to say. Because God wanted to say it to Israel back in the first century through the Apostle Paul. He wants to speak now through the Apostle Paul, but importantly through the Spirit, to speak into the situation that you uh, find yourself in. So as we look at this, Remember that the Apostle Paul, going back to chapter 2, is he said this. He said there are... I can't pull this one up. I guess I can't pull that up. Let me go here. Did God reject His people? Never. Now we're looking at verses 4 and 5, right? God says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 
who had not bowed to the knee of Baal. So this word reserved, God had set apart. Now remember the story of Elijah. Let's bring us into it a little bit. Remember Elijah had this standoff on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. I can't tell the whole story, but essentially what happened was Israel was getting divided over gods. Imagine people getting divided over gods, right? So there's going to be a standoff. And Elijah says, okay, if you're going to follow the gods of this world, in this case, the gods of Baal, if you're going to do it, Let's just see which God is the true God. And he's drawn a line in the sand. And he says, there's the true God. He says, okay, you get a bull, and we'll get a bull, and we're going to bring them up on Mount Carmel, and we're going to cut them apart, sacrifice them on an altar. But to really see which God is God, let's just raise the bar a little bit. I'm going to tell you that God sent a drought. Drought means no water. It means there was no rain for several years and there was not a lot of water to be found. Elijah says, let's put our bulls on the altars and you get water and drench the bull. Just pour it on. Well, he did it with the bull from Israel. The false prophets, they're calling out to their God, 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 wake up, wake up, hurry up, start this fire. And of course, there's no response. They're firewood was dry. Israel, he says, now let's just pour all this water on there. And then he prays, right? You know the story. Fire comes from heaven and everything is destroyed. And he shows that God is God and the gods of this world are not. Elijah, though, gets threatened by Jezebel and he flees. And he's afraid for his life. And so what does he cry out? He says to the Lord, I am the only one in all of Israel following you. I'm like, his math is so bad. (laughs) Because God says, wait a minute, I have reserved for myself 7,000 people. Right? So what is he doing? 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to the gods of this world. In this case, the God of Baal. We could just list any God you want in there. Then he goes on and he says, so too at the present time, this is 2,000 years ago, there is a remnant. That's the same concept as here. Now we see this idea of remnant. This is just a small group of people that God has set apart for his own purposes. A remnant let me just give you this definition, are those people who remain faithful to God despite suffering, pain, and confusion. Let me say that again. People that remain faithful to God despite suffering, pain, and I throw the word confusion in there, Because there's times when we just don't understand and we've got to remain faithful to God. That's what the remnant is. So what Paul is saying is, hey, you may think God rejected his people, but right now, the present time, there is a remnant. Just like Elijah made the mistake saying, hey, I alone am left, the Jews in that church were starting to say, wait a minute, where are God's people And Paul is saying there is this remnant. 
And look what he says, chosen by grace, right? And this is what makes grace so amazing in the scriptures is that grace is what sets Christianity apart from everything else, every other religion in the world because we trust Christ alone. And so what we begin to see is that God is making clear that we are saved. Remember what we said last week and previous weeks, we're saved by grace. You are not saved by faith. Faith would never save anyone. Grace is what saves. It's God's initiation, a generous gift, that's grace, and we receive that gift of grace through faith. So it's not faith that saves us, it's grace that saves us. We receive that grace through faith. And as we've said before, it's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And so what Paul is doing is he's bringing it back more and more to this word of grace is that we are all saved by grace. So as we look at this, what I want us to walk away with this morning, first of all, is that God will never reject his people. God will never reject his people. That was the question at the beginning. But now let's look at the issue here a little deeper. God made promises to Israel. What were some of the promises God made to Israel? We're going to give you, God's going to give you the promised land. Fair enough. God's going to multiply the people. Remember he told Abraham, I'm going to multiply your descendants like the stars in the sky or like the sand pebbles on the, on the beach, right? He says, I'm going to multiply all these people. And then he says, I'm going to bless you. Well, they're looking at themselves and they're saying, wait a minute. We're not really in the promised land. We're occupied by the Roman Empire. And hey, while you may think we're being blessed, we're actually being persecuted. And they could look back at a number of different things that were going on. And so they started questioning. And those are just the basic ones. We could get deeper into it, but I don't want to lead us astray. What I want to do is get us now into the promises God has made to you. God promised that uh, there would be deliverance or salvation for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. That's what he promised. Well, what does this salvation look like? Well, what happens is we start getting expectations. We say, wait, if, if God's going to deliver me and he's going to save me, it's got to look a certain way. I'm not going to have many problems with sin. Or if I have an addiction, I'm going to get over addiction. If I've got some stumbling block in my life, I'm always going to be victorious over that. And so when we were back in chapter 7, we wrestled with those kind of questions. So I don't want to rehearse them, but this is where people start to move into doubt. God promised that all things will work out together for good for his children, right? And so we start trying to make that fit the way we want to understand it. God promised comfort in our trials. And so you're going through a situation, you lose a loved one, and you're saying, wait a minute. I feel awfully empty. I feel awfully abandoned. I'm not feeling a lot of comfort, right? So you say God broke his promise. God promised new life in Christ. God promised every spiritual blessing in Christ. God promised peace when we pray. I pray and I don't experience the kind of peace that I think God should give me, right? God promised to supply all our needs. God promised rest or Jesus promised rest. Jesus promised an abundant life, a life that would be full and meaningful. And so this is where we start saying, well, God has abandoned me. God has rejected me. And what I want us to see is that God never, never 
rejects you. It says in Hebrews, it says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never, 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 never do that, right? Because God is a good God. God loves his people. And so as we look at that, we see that he will not break his promises to Israel. And when we get to the end of chapter 11, you're going to see how he's going to fulfill every promise. Remember when we had our outdoor service and I gave you the phrase, it's going to be good. I'm telling you, when God fulfills his promises, it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. I'm telling you this, like, this excites me. You start dreaming today of the most perfect, most beautiful, most amazing world that you could conjure up. Heaven will supersede everything you can come up with. That's the promises of God. That's where God is going. And God says, I will not disappoint you. And the question on the table is, will you believe God? Or are you going to go the way of the Israelites into unbelief? Because when you go into the path of unbelief, your heart starts getting hard. You start wringing your hands. You start getting angry. And you start lashing out at everything and everyone. And it's rooted in unbelief. And that's one of the big problems in the church today. Church says they believe in Jesus Christ. They don't believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in the Republican Party. The Republican Party is going to disappoint you. Some people believe in the Democratic Party. Let me tell you, it's going to disappoint you. Everything in this world will disappoint you. There's only one person who will never disappoint you, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. And the promises of God are good. They are amazing. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, for as many as the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore, Also through him is our amen to the glory of God. Jesus is going to make it so beautiful. Now we're all holding on, aren't we? We're waiting. And I'm telling you, the wait is worth it. The hardship is worth it because you won't be disappointed. Now, if you ask me, hey, I don't understand why God's got to bring us through suffering. Suffering is hardwired into this universe. It's the way God made it, and his own son had to go through the path of suffering. And if his own son, Jesus Christ, had to go the path of suffering, why do we think we're going to escape it? We're not. This is the path to the glory of God. It takes us through the valley, and we've got to hold on. But he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said in Matthew 28, 20, he said, I will be with you always. He didn't say, I'll be with you sometimes. I'll be with you when you're in pain. I'm going to avoid you. No, he says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So it's an amazing thing. Let me hit this real quickly. And that's well, my second point is there's a remnant built on grace. So there we go. Thank you so much. There's a remnant. We're back to the remnant, and it's built on grace. So let me hit here. Remember, Paul talked about two Israels. Two Israels. So we have two Israels. Remember, one was spiritual, and one was physical. And Paul said, remember back in chapter 2, there is the spiritual Israel. Those are the people that believe. Those are the people that trust Christ. Those are the ones walking with him. So the remnant or the spiritual Israel is about trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Now, the question is, did Jesus talk about a remnant? Well, the New Testament never uses the word remnant. 
the way we talk about it in the Old Testament, this idea of a group of people. But Jesus hinted at it. In Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, Jesus, as more and more people started rejecting him, remember his ministry was growing, it was growing, it was growing, then they started to reject him. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, he says, little flock. I think what he's saying is he's suggesting in this group of people that profess to follow Christ, there's a remnant. And I put that in quotes. There's this littler flock. Jesus said, many are, are, many, uh, are called, but few are chosen. The same idea. I think there's this idea of a remnant. But here in Romans, 9, or Romans 11, verses 1 to 10, he's talking about Israel. So let me just hit real quickly here. Paul says in verse 7, what then? Okay, you're saying all these things. What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. Why did they not obtain it? Because of unbelief. But look what it says. The elect, the chosen ones, the remnant, those who believed, they found what Israel was seeking. They found ultimately their Messiah is Jesus Christ the promised king. The rest that did not, their others were hardened. As it is written, God says, or God gave them a spirit of stupor. Remember what I said last week, is that God's going to give you what you want. If you want darkness, go ahead and have it. And what's going to happen is you're going to get a spirit of stupor, your eyes will not see, your ears will not hear, and you'll become increasingly more hardened. That's why it's dangerous to live in unbelief. So what do we need to believe? We need to believe that Jesus is our Savior, that God wants people who will trust Him. So I want to bring this all to a hard point. When it comes to pain and suffering, we all want to understand why. And sometimes God will not answer that why. Sometimes he does. But a lot of times in my experience, he says, I'm not going to tell you why I'm doing it. Then the question goes deeper. Will you love him despite understanding? Will you follow him when you don't understand? And that's what God is wanting. He's wanting a people that will come to Him wholly abandoned, as we say at Fox Valley Church, fully surrendered to experience what He has. Israel refused. They loved His plan when they had Him in the promised land and everything was going well under King David. They loved that. What they didn't like, what they didn't like was when God said, but my plan is to bring a suffering, crucified Messiah who would be raised from the dead. But that was for them. What is it for you? The point presses to the same. Will you trust God that He is good, that He's all-wise and He's all-powerful in the midst of not understanding? That's where God wants to take you and me this morning. That's a hard place to go. So how are we going to get there this morning? I want to close our service differently than we've ever closed 
I want to spend some time with the Lord. I think we as a church, we as a body, need to ask ourselves, do I believe God and trust Jesus only when life is good and when life is easy and when things are smooth? Or can I trust Jesus in the pain and the suffering? But wait a minute. Can I trust Jesus when I don't understand? And all I've got to hold on to is He tells me He's good, He's all-powerful, and He's wise. So in order to do this this morning, I'm going to invite Emmanuel Mayumba. He's, come on up, uh, Emmanuel. And uh, Emmanuel is uh, heading up our prayer life team. And we want to lead our time in prayer this morning. And uh, if you don't know Emmanuel and his wife Rita, you need to get to know them. Amazing couple, amazing journey with the Lord, but that's for another day. Bring us where you want to take us in prayer this morning. So I love what you said, God will not reject his people. And, and I think that speaks deep into our hearts, you know. And I want us to just spend a little time meditating on this message this morning. Just a moment of quiet where you come before the Lord and ask and meditate and ask God, what is it that you want me to surrender this morning? Reflecting on this, asking God, what is it that I need to let go, that I may experience these promises, these blessings in my life? So we're going to take some time where we are just going to meditate, and I'm going to invite you to just pray. You know, praying together as a church is a powerful thing, you know. And, and we see it in the New Testament too. The apostles, they prayed in agreement. One person prayed, the whole group prayed, and people were agreeing. So sometimes it looks just like this, where you just say, amen. As somebody prays, you say, amen. Confirming, affirming that I agree with what you are saying. And I see God waking through so this prayer. So let's just unpack that a little bit. You can't whisper amen. So when, <laughs> when Emmanuel prays or Rita play, prays in just a moment or Tim prays and they say something and maybe your heart's not quite there, one way to move your heart and to nudge your heart is to say, I agree with that. I like that. Father, help me accept that. And you can say that out loud. Because your neighbor may be struggling to say it. And when they hear you say it, then what happens is they are freed up to say it. Say, I agree. I, I, I need that. So whatever it is that plays on there, that's what Emmanuel is talking about in terms of agreeing in prayer. It's a very healthy thing. Let me just say also, uh, there's a place for a posture here. A physical posture. Sometimes turning your hands, palms up, is just a posture of surrender. It's a posture of receiving. It's a posture of, of saying, God, I, I need you to speak. So, so that's how we're going to do it. And I want you to agree. Somebody praying, I want you to agree as God is speaking to you. So we're going to take a little moment. And um, I want you, you can bow your head. You can go your knees. It's, it's a posture of surrender too. And um, just take some time and reflect on this. Let's just do this. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Spirit. 
Now, I just want to invite you, you know, as you reflect on this, I invite you to pray, you know, just ask God, speak to God this morning. Proverbs 5 3 says, or 3 5, sorry, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. That's right. That's right. God, um, thank you so much for your word. It brings us peace. God, um, in this crazy world, thank you too for um, Jesus. Mm. for bringing him into our lives. I like that. God, um, we, we come in a posture of worship. And Lord, we just thank you for your wisdom and your power. Mm. God, um, pour out your power for us. That's right. We need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah, verse 29 chapter 29 verse 11 says for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future mm -hmm. Heavenly Father God we come before your throne your throne of grace and mercy Lord Father God yes. we thank you Lord Father God because your word says you know the plans that you have for us oh Lord Sometimes things seem so hard, oh Lord, Father God, but we lean, oh Lord, Father God, on your word that says you have the plans, oh Lord, Father God, and we acknowledge your goodness, Lord, Father God. We worship you, Heavenly Father God, for all that you do. We thank you, Heavenly Father God, for your goodness, for your mercy, oh Father God, and the peace that surpasses all understanding. We thank you, Heavenly Father God, because we can come unto your word. That's we can right. come That's unto right. your feet, oh Lord, Father God, and say, Lord, here I am, oh Lord, Father God. Yes. Take whatever Amen. is on my heart. Take whatever is in me, oh Lord, Father God. I lay it unto you, oh Lord, Father God, because your word says, all you who are heavy laden, That's come right. unto me and I'll give you rest. Lord, yes. Father God, we come into your presence and we say, Lord, here we are. Mm -hmm. Whatever is on our heart, oh Lord, Father God, that is not giving us peace. We come unto you, Lord, Father God, and we say, Lord, mm. give me peace, oh Amen. Father God. I Amen. surrender everything into your hands. I surrender my life. I surrender my family. I surrender the church. I surrender That's each right. and everything into your hands, oh Lord, Father God. And you take it, oh Lord, Father God, and you give us peace. Mm. We thank you, Lord, Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus. We praise you, Lord, Father God, and we worship you, oh Lord, Father God, because mm. you are magnificent. That's right. You That's are right. wonderful, oh Lord, Father Father God, there is none like you, oh Lord, Father God. No one. And we no acknowledge like that in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, Father God, for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a second as well, and as we're in this time, just to be able to sing together, I surrender all. Right? So Pastor Tom encouraged us before to take a posture of surrender. So I just want to say it again, whether that's holding your hands out 
whether that's raising a hand, getting down on a knee, whatever that looks like for you, I just want to encourage you to go there. Will you sing with me? Father, we surrender this morning our treasures, our time, our talents, and everything we have, we surrender unto you because you've given these things unto us. We thank you because you are a good God. And, and as your word says that you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because believe in you. We thank you for this peace that you've promised That's right. and that you've given unto Thank us. You, Thank you. As a church this morning, we come and we surrender unto you. We surrender everything mm. unto your feet. And we thank you because you said in your word, your promises are yes mm. and amen. Yes, amen. We amen. thank you in Jesus' name.